0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Well, here we are again, Blog Talk Radio, and nothing's working. (laughs) Good evening, everybody. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is the USDA Hour, and joining me and co hosting is Lawrence Lucas. Say hello, Lawrence. Hello,
2: hello. Glad to be on tonight. We have some interesting people.
1: Yes, we do. And I want to remind everyone, these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit. It takes place annually in Washington, D.C. This last year, the summit was televised. It was videoed because of this faked-up virus. But anyway, we do have a bang-up show tonight. We have several guests on with us with all have something to say about our topic tonight, which is basically the dysfunction of the USDA and the ongoing discrimination that's there. As I said, Lawrence is co-hosting with me, as always. Uh, Joining him is Michael Stovall of Alabama, Wayman Hinson, who's done a documentary they're coming out with, and Julian Hishaw when she joins us. So, Lawrence, I think a place to start, if it's all right with you... Uh, I believe, would be to talk about the Biden campaign and the response you or lack of you've gotten from them regarding the USDA. Uh,
2: Well, what what I wanted to do tonight, Marty, is um, we also have Lisa Donnelly, uh, the vice president of the USDA Coalition of Minority Employees, and she's from California. We are fortunate to have her with us tonight as well. Uh, What we want to do uh marty i was thinking that each individual that'll be speaking have reasons for doing what they are doing without a long bio and and i want to lead off the things that go on in people's lives that take them on this journey this journey is what i call a whistleblowers but i have a, another term that's even probably more relevant than that And that we have people that are coming forward speaking out loud about the discrimination and abuse, especially the sexual abuse of women, the assaults of women, uh, women being harassed, intimidated. So we look at this whole issue at USDA in a systemic uh, piece. But in terms of a small introduction, I would like to probably, because people question why we do what we do, I want to start off with maybe tell and share with the listening public, as well as some of the individuals that are joining us may not know this, but I want to give a small introduction that will take about a minute, and I would like for them to probably do the same, and then we're going to get into the uh, delve into the subject matter. The reason why I do what I do is for a whole host of reasons, but one thing it takes me back. To my childhood. When I was 8 or 9 years old, uh, and, uh, um, I went to a movie theater in Virginia, and they told me that I had to sit in the balcony, and I told my grandparents that I didn't want to return there because I, the feeling that I had was being treated something less than equal. Uh, the first time... I heard the N-word, and I won't use the word because there are people who want to have excuse for knocking you off the air, Marty. Uh, so um, I heard that word, and I know the impact that it had on me, and I was only 9 or 10 years old then as well. And then I was told that um, I could not be served and I was prepared to go to Ethiopia. I could not eat at a restaurant Uh, near Washington, and then I was told again uh, a month later I could not eat in a restaurant in Baltimore. Each time I had my fellow white colleagues, in one case I had the parents of the track, track team athletes were there, the others, my colleagues who I was going to join in Ethiopia. And then another thing happened to me, which makes all of us kick, for some reason, there's something that keeps us going. Um, I was told when writing a speech for Secretary Berglund as a speechwriter, I was told that I could not capitalize the word B for black. That's. I challenged them, and I was told that they wanted to change. I told them no. Uh, when that speech came out and Secretary Berglund gave it at Tuskegee, it was a B, a capital B. So, what I'm saying in the in the end is that by standing up and speaking out, it may have these things that hurt me, but they're things that you we have to do to stand up. Even if it means um, when you want to write black with a capital B, you can. Now, I would like to introduce, and I want to start with. Uh, because a lot of this is going to be around black farmers. I want uh, Michael Stovall to kind of uh, tell us real quickly, what what makes you tick? Why are you doing this? Um, I think it's important that our listening audience hear what you have experienced, Michael, and then uh, Lisa, and then uh, Wayman, I know uh, Ms. Hishaw, uh, and then uh, Wayman. So, um, Michael, can you help me here? Yes.
3: Good evening. My name is Michael Stavall. I'm in town, Creek, Alabama. Uh, my experience of growing up on a farm and reaching reaching out to start my own farming business and being discriminated against at the hands of the USDA with a finding of a discrimination, a breach of settlement agreement with 28 years of discrimination. And my plaque is to make sure that black farmers get justice, not only myself, but many farmers that I've seen that had been discriminated against over the years of them, you know, losing their legs and losing their limbs and losing their eyesight, fighting this this demon, as you call the USDA, and nobody wants to hold them accountable for so the wrongdoing that they have done to many black farmers across the country. And that's my plaque of making sure that the next generation that comes behind me don't have to suffer the way that I have suffered and I've seen many others suffer. And the USDA is is, is the systemic problem because if you don't solve the whole problem, you continue to get the, the same repeat over and over again. So, You need the USDA need to be cleaned up as a whole, from administration to administration, problem to problem, Congress to Congress. It's just nobody wants to touch the issue to do something about the big problem at the hands of the USDA.
2: Okay, thank you, Um, uh, Lisa. um, What about you?
4: Hey, Lawrence. Hey, Marty. Thanks for having us on. I'll start for brevity. I'll start with, uh, Forest Service. I, you know, I started, um, becoming active as an advocate in the Forest Service around 1995. I had already had about 13 years in with the federal government. And, um, I started around 95 because I started personally being harassed. I had never been harassed before
0: in my job.
4: And, um, When I filed a complaint on being harassed, the retaliation was so swift and so severe, uh, it was quite shocking. I was pretty naive back then, Uh, did not know really the lay of the land in terms of um, work environment issues. And um, so I filed a complaint, and somehow a rumor was started. This is in California, Region 5 Forest Service. A rumor was started that I was going to file a class action. And... um, I started hearing from first dozens and then hundreds of women uh, being harassed, sexually harassed, uh, discriminated against in their jobs, um, physically assaulted, raped. And from that, um, I became quickly um, of the mindset that I need to do something. I can't just know this information and not do anything about it. So I tried to... uh, I attempted to let the agency know because I was naive, thinking that um, they must not know how bad it is out here. And they did know, and they retaliated against me worse. So I ended up filing a class action lawsuit and um, in 1996, and we pretty much won. We We had a settlement, a big settlement that went through 2002. I think the biggest thing, though, is that around 95 is when I met Lawrence Lucas, 94, 95, and joined the coalition and started working with the coalition. And during that time of my class action, that was during the Clinton administration, and um, it was during the Dan Glickman time period. And there were a lot of – there was a lot of good that came out of that time period with Glickman and the Clinton administration – As we went forward, though, in time, uh, and my class action ended, we we, we did quite a few good things, both the coalition and and the class. But in 2008, Vilsack came in. It started backsliding a little bit in 2006. In 2008, when Tom Vilsack came in as the Secretary of Agriculture, that's when things started getting really, really bad. And um, we tried working with Tom Vilsack, and he was, you know, for eight years, and he was just so non-responsive. In 2008, Lawrence and I testified before the um, Oversight and Reform Committee on how bad things were for black farmers and for uh, agency employees, and Vilsack was still non-responsive. We met with him in October in 2011. Met with him in his office, and um, he was completely non-responsive there.
2: And, okay, uh, you know. uh, Lisa. Um, I
4: think that's
2: that's. I think that kind of leads us up in, to where
4: where we are,
2: because we're going to be talking a little um, more about. Um, the role of USDA and that administration. Uh, So let me get a few, let me get one or two other people to do their introduction. But remember this point, because I want you to pick that up somewhere in the dialogue to come. Um, Is uh, Julian Hinshaw, thank you, Lisa, is Julian Hinshaw on? Not yet, Lawrence.
1: Not yet. Okay. Um, we have
2: Wayman Henson on, so I want Wayman uh, give us a, just a short, um, a short encapsulation as to why you're doing what
5: you're doing. Uh,
0: <clears throat>
5: okay. Yeah. So so thanks for allowing me on, on the program tonight, Lawrence and uh, and Marty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll try to be brief about this and trust you, Lawrence, to shut me off when I've gone too long. Okay. <laughs> I knew you would. The, the, the short, that's a good thing. The, the short verse is that I was born and raised in Jim Crow South. I graduated from high school in the 60s, in, in, in 68. So if you go back before that, uh, I saw integrated high school. Uh, I, I went to the white high school and the black high school was only three blocks away. Uh, and it was a shame that the only thing that we knew about the black high school was the fact that they played football on Saturday night when my school played football on the same field on Friday night. And I grew up in a family where my father was uh, blue collar, um, bulldoze operator, pulp wooder. Uh, in one job situation, uh, he worked alongside a guy named Charlie, who was a, a friend of his. Charlie was a black guy. Uh, he lived out on this particular rant that my dad was working on, and it was really interesting to see my father get along with Charlie well, but then to come back around in the privacy of our home and to hear my father, who like the black guy, to drop the N-word. So I lived in the space of confusion. And then uh, in, in our youth ministry, my wife and I worked with two multicultural groups, a church in El Paso that had black, white, Hispanic, American, Indian youth and then we moved to Memphis where we worked with rich, poor, black, white public private school kids. And so it's like God kept on hammering away at me, uh, saying, you gotta do something about about race. You gotta do something about race and then when I when I moved into the academy I had the opportunity to to teach both white students, black students, Hispanic students. And then uh, a pivotal phone call came in 1994 when James Meyer called, and that led to me becoming a consultant with the black farmers, and so worked as a consultant with four of the first 15 cases that settled with the USDA. And then from there, I thought the stories were so riveting and so painful to see. There was too much involved with them that I thought, I need to get my students involved in these uh, in, in this work. And so over the course of about five years, we developed a series of what we call social justice teams, and they did everything from travel with me to interview black farmers to uh, presentations and all. But the thing that, that I would say, the short verse, would, and then there's affiliation with Up, and then there's the dream of the documentary. But the short verse of involvement was when I interviewed the first African-American farmers, either in my office or on their farms in the South, the stories of pain and suffering were too real. So I met folks who were losing their kids, losing their eyesight, losing their health, to diabetes. And the whole thing was uh, that the stress of dealing with the USDA and being treated unjustly was wearing upon them, and it was grinding their human bodies to the bones. So spiritually, emotionally, they were in for the long haul, but their bodies weren't wired to live longer than 70, 75 years or so. So pain okay. and suffering, the pivotal okay. nature of the story. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because...
2: Um, when you start talking about the documentary, it kind of leads where you are now. It kind of leads into that. So I'm going to stop you here and, uh, Marty, why, here you have a radio show that's talking about all this racism and sexism, and you didn't have to have this issue be a major part of your life, and you have made it a part of your life. Well, Marty, Will you please tell our listening public, why is it that you have made the sacrifices that you have made and made them more than once to make sure that people have a vehicle by which they can ventilate and talk about all the pain and suffering so that we can change this? a racist and sexist and abusive culture in America.
6: What
2: What is it that uh, that got you to this point where you care about what we are talking about and you care about us?
1: Well, I, I, it wasn't one thing, Lawrence. I've never been the type of person that indulged in um, racism. I, I've never seen the sense of it. I don't know how people come to this in their mind thinking that they're better. I never have understood it. I do not like, on any level, in any way, seeing people mistreated for any reason. And so you have a choice to make in life. You can stand up, speak out, and try to do something. Whether you succeed or not is not the issue, it's the trying. It's keeping it out there, not letting them bury it, keeping it right in their face. And, or you can sit back and say, woe is me, and do nothing, I'm not a do-nothing person and um i find personally people from all walks extremely interesting and um uh, if i had to look at white people all day long i'd probably just go to bed and forget about it but um it's just uh, <laughs> i don't know i can't say it was any one thing it's just been been a lifelong knowledge that we are all here together and no one deserves to be treated this way no one and um, this is why I do what I do, Lawrence said. It's like I say, I may not succeed at anything, but I don't consider that a failure. It just means I haven't tried hard enough. That's all. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. What, I wanted, right. uh, at, what, what, what Lawrence, I wanted to do, what what I to do is asking. Yes. Lawrence. Yes. Julian has joined us, and she's live.
2: Oh, okay. Julian uh, Hishaw.
1: Uh, Julian, what we're doing is. Uh, Tonight
2: we're starting the show off a little differently So I want you to take a few minutes Only a few minutes If you get too far beyond it, I'll have to stop you I want to say welcome to the show number, number two But what I would like for you to do is We're trying to put a human touch On what we are doing and why we're doing it So I would like for you to just share with us for a few minutes tell us why you are doing what you're doing because there are i think uh, you do research you but you, i think you're on you're a lawyer, lawyer an attorney and a and a writer and and a, an a editor and what have you tell us What Before we get into the meat of the show, tell us why you are doing and talking about and showing concerns for black people, Native American people, and concerns for the human condition uh, or how to improve the human condition in this country, especially at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And I thank you again for coming on tonight.
6: Yes, thank you so much for having me. So, um, my name is Jillian Hyshaw, and I'm an attorney and founder and director of Family Agriculture Resource Management Services, and that's abbreviated farm. And we provide um, low-cost or pro bono legal services to farmers of color. Um, Prior to uh, starting farm seven years ago, I worked for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in D.C. um, in the Office of Civil Rights under... um, the Obama administration, and the past 15 years I've been dedicated to this work of land justice for black farmers and farmers of color, particularly aging farmers because um, my family, we owned a farm in Oklahoma and my great-grandmother was taken advantage of by a dishonest lawyer, and because of that we um, lost our, our land, and That led to my grandfather, where my grandfather's house used to be. Now there's an oil pump going up and down, and the land had known oil deposits. So um, that influenced my work uh, over the past 15 years to dedicate it to to providing legal services and also writing. I've written law journal articles. I've written for the American Bar Association, and now I'm writing a book, Systematic Land Theft. Focusing on the freedmen of the five civilized tribes, uh, five tribes owned slaves, and then also, of course, um, black land law. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Okay,
2: thank you very much. Now we get to the segment uh, tonight on the show. Now we want to kind of bring and have a discussion, and I want you all to butt in with each other uh, from time to time, and but i don 't want to necessarily be the gatekeeper of who talks next. I would like to have a conversation about the the problem that we have at the u s Department of Agriculture and the problem that we have in this country when it comes down to treating women with dignity and respect with coming down to to uh, treating Farmers with dignity and respect, not only just black farmers but Native American farmers or any farmer for that matter, but now we are in the throes of fighting for the dignity and respect of black farmers and employees at USDA. I want to talk about here we are on the verge of an election, a very uh, very pivotal point in all our lives and We are asking the Biden administration. We have asked the Biden administration to come up with a plan that is a plan that has a systemic fix, like Mr. Stovall mentioned, to fixing the civil rights problem in the USDA. What it seems as though we've also have gone to Elizabeth Warren. We've gone to Bernie Sanders. And we went to Bloomberg, and they were very open and willing to make some of the changes that we call for. Here we are. I would like for uh, Michael to start off uh, with this conversation, and we can just blend in as well. And, and, and feel free to step up to the plate. Uh, when you need to say something uh, uh just for a little while Stovall, um here we are okay. why should we be why should we be talking about this issue, and why should we be uh concerned about how presidential candidates plan to treat us uh when we go to the polls and vote for them
3: well its, it's the problem is as you know every president that um, and came in and out of the White House is very aware of the politics of the USDA and the systemic problem of the USDA because their, their plans of writing a bill, uh, policy for, for the le- things that they want to happen with the, with the agriculture itself. And nobody wants to address the systemic problem and the racism at, and at the hands of the USDA Is very important to be addressed because we're losing so many black farmers and black landowners. It's it's ridiculous because of the systemic discrimination that goes on in that agency, and nobody wants to address it. And to really fix the problem, you're gonna have to fix the whole problem. If you don't fix the whole problem, it's gonna continue to go on generation after generation, and that's what has been happening. you know, when Barack Obama's administration came in, they had over 14,000 cases there. And those cases was investigated in some form and made a determination that those, uh, half of those cases, all of all those cases, would be resolved. And none of those cases has been resolved as of today. You know, they prepared a statute of limitation bill that went before the House and passed in the House twice and never went to the Senate to, if it went to the Senate they never adapted to a bill. Now what's gonna to happen to those cases? Those cases are considered as statute of limitation because the USDA didn't do anything to settle those cases or have a finding a non finding in those cases, and those cases sit there and died on the bottom. So the farmer and the employees and whoever those cases was filed under shouldn't be held accountable for something that they didn't do. The USDA should be held accountable for what they didn't do. So I don't understand why you have to have legislation to fix the, you know, because everybody has a regulation. The USDA has regulation, and their regulations governs them, and also governs the person that filed the complaint. So when they're in violation, why do the farmer or why do the employee has to suffer because of their wrongdoing? That don't make sense to me, and it shouldn't take Congress to pass a bill to fix it. They should enforce the bills that's already on the books and hold that agency accountable for its wrongdoing. So those are oh. the things that need to happen with that agency.
2: Well, oh, thank you very much. Uh, Raymond, uh, can you wade in here and kind of pick up what uh, um, what you what, what you think should be going on right now? Uh, at USDA, and and plug in, please. Uh, the fact that you have a documentary coming out, give us a little background on it and a little history. Sure. And then, uh, Ms. Hishaw, I want you to come next, please.
5: Well, my opinion about the matter, Lawrence, is that the uh, whoever sits in the seat uh, uh, there in the White House hasn't cared enough to select the right person to lead the USDA who hasn't really cared enough to select, to, to appoint the right people in the right seats nor uh, care enough to, to pull around the uh, career employees because it's one thing uh, as Michael has said to have policies in place Sensibly, when you have policies in place it's really simple follow the policies But somebody said one time, I don't remember who it was that the uh, And I'm not sure I really agree with this now. Uh, What it said was that the law is colorblind, uh, but people aren't. I now believe that the law really was colorblind in a very uh, decisive way of marginalizing people of color. So if we have good people in the seats who are in the right place uh, running policies and procedures and programs in a way that are fair and equitable to everybody, then you won't see any differences between white farmers and black farmers, Hispanic, Indian, and women farmers. So I think that's one problem. And I think the problem there is one of history, that if you go back, this is really Lincoln's department. And when the New Deal was set up, the New Deal was established by leaders within the USDA from the south and so you have southern uh, elitism running the people's department and that mindset has uh, continued to this day and so that's one problem so history is a problem another part of the problem is that there's an absolute glaring absence of transparency and responsive and accountability so that somebody on the county level can marginalize and mistreat a farmer who will eventually wind up losing his or her land. But that county committee person, that county officer, is never held accountable. So whoever's over the state doesn't hold the county accountable. Whoever's over the national doesn't hold the state accountable. And whoever sits in the USDA Ag Secretary's office. Doesn't hold anybody accountable. So it's one thing to talk, but it's another thing to do. And so I think the absence of accountability and the absence of transparency. And it was Charles Stenholm, who was um, on the ag, on the House Ag Committee back in the 90s when all of these things were rolling. And I remember one time he said, if somebody mistreats a farmer, then they ought to lose their job. And I don't know of anybody who's ever lost their job, although I do know a story of an FSA county officer official in a parish in Louisiana who who was moved to another parish and then promoted to uh, the state FSA office. So if that's being accountable, then I think there's an absolute lack thereof. That's how I would respond to, to, to the systemic problem. And let me say one more thing. What we're lobbying for at all levels, whether it's with Biden or whether it's with lawmakers or whatever, is systemic change. And systemic change is really about a change of the rules. Now, what happens is when we go from president to president, secretary to secretary, what we do is we simply rearrange the furniture in the room, and we've had too many generations of secretaries and presidents simply rearranging the furniture. That's not systemic change.
2: Uh, Okay. Thank you. Ms. Hishaw?
6: Yes. Yes. So, yes. So um, the focus of – I have two books. So two years I wrote a book, Don't Bet the Farm on Medicaid. And the reality is, is that another way – Black farmers are using, are losing land is through Medicaid liens. And so people don't realize that when you qualify for Medicaid, that opens up your estates, your realty assets to a Medicaid lien if you owe an outstanding debt to the local nursing home. They have the federal authority. And so um, I've discovered in working with aging farmers that that's another cause of land loss. But in terms of USDA, the reality is is that things really don't change. So whether you have a Republican or a Democratic administration, things don't change because most of the implementation of the farm bill happens on the county and local level. And when you have farm service um, agency FSA county committees that are the good old boys network that basically transcend over generations, their grandfather, their father, their son were on the same committees. And they're able to have authority over programming and loans and things like this. This is when you have a problem. Also, another reality is that, for example, during the Obama administration under the new micro lending program, only there was an allocation of $5.7 billion and only 0.2, which was equivalent to $11 million, was dispersed to black farmers compared to 84% of the money going to white farmers. Now, one can argue, oh, well, the majority of farmers are white, but yes, if the majority of farmers are white, then why was the foreclosure rate at 13%? And all of these different analogies and things like this is what I include in my new book, Systematic Land Theft, that's coming out the end of the month. But I look at the history of land loss in this country, not just under USDA, but also um, under redlining tax credits. And the reality is, is that USDA was started the year after um, uh, slavery, emancipation, and they required a black farmer to have past credit to qualify for a loan. And this is what the precedence has been set ever since. For you know, 200 plus years, and so they require the same thing. Black farmers collateralize over 300 percent compared to white farmers, which is you know 50 percent or less. And so you know these are the realities in the history of USDA.
2: Uh, thank you, uh, Lisa. We'll, we'll, I would like for you to comment now because you're going to take this conversation in somewhat of a another direction. But it gets to what Michael Stovall said. It gets to what we've been telling the Biden administration and what we've told to all the other candidates running for president. We don't just want to fix what is going on with the farmers. We want to fix once and for all the the system. Uh, The culture that exists at USDA. Now we're talking about and Lisa is going to tell you, uh, Lisa, and we're going to keep everybody short because we're going to get into that conversation. Lisa is going to tell you about the employment side, which everybody seems to want to ignore and forget. Tell them, Lisa, about the pain and suffering that women have had. Tell them about the many hearings and the demonstrations um and and the and the secretaries that we've talked to that have turned their backs on on um, on on
4: American citizens
2: and employees at usDA as well thank and I appreciate that
4: thanks lawrence the, the first thing I to say is um, something that I repeated many times, and it was something that struck me that John Boyd said, and and this was many years ago. He said, how can we as black farmers expect the USDA to treat us with respect and with dignity and equality when the USDA will not even treat their own employees? with respect and dignity and equality. And I I think, you know, that has resonated with me for so many years because the agency disrespects their employees and harasses and discriminates their employees to a level that when I talk to people that don't know about the USDA, they can't even believe it. And this has been going on for so many years. And uh, like I started saying a little bit earlier, you know, Lawrence and I started um, working together on these issues clear back in 1994, 95. And um, we've seen some good things happen under the Clinton administration with Dan Glickman. And then we saw a lot of blacks backsliding um, after that to the point where we are now is um, probably, I would say, worse than I have ever seen it. Worse before uh, we filed the class action um, lawsuit on sexual harassment and uh, discrimination against women back in the 90s. And, of course, it's not just women. It's people of color. It's people with disabilities, um, alternate orientations. Uh, Anyone that doesn't fit the mold that the Forest Service uh, has systemically uh, placed above and beyond um, what a lot of people want to call the good old boy, good old girl system, it's there. And if you don't fit in, uh, you know, eat your toast. And um, I was talking about up to the point where we got Bill Second, and I think – To Vilsack in 2008, and he was there, you know, from 2008 to 2016, and it's it's really I think pertinent to talk about Vilsack and how bad it was under Vilsack um, now, because we're seeing him insert himself into the current uh, times and the current uh, uh, public policy issues on. Um, race discrimination and the issues of the black farmers and and what to do at agriculture. Tom Bilsack was probably the worst secretary of agriculture I've ever seen in terms of um, employee uh, civil rights abuses. And um, he we met with him in in 2011 and uh, for quite a long meeting. And throughout the meeting you could see he he just didn't get it. He didn't uh, want to get it. He didn't want to understand the um, amount of suffering. And we, you know, uh, Michael Stowall was in that meeting. Michael, you were there. And, um, and late Mr. Hildebrandt. And uh, it was very clear that nothing was going to happen really under the Vilsack um, administration. And so... You know, it brings us up to, of course, the Trump administration and, um, you know, how can you have any any uh, discussions or dialogue about the respect and dignity of women in the USDA and, and the uh, attempting to address the issues of violence against women in the USDA when you have a president like Donald Trump. I mean, it's just it's absurd. And so here we are we're putting our eggs you know in the basket of um joe biden and i'll let you go into that part of it lawrence but the issues here are that we have been dealing with this since 1994 through the coalition with both the employee issues and with the farmers issues and they parallel each other as john boyd said and um, I like what Mr. Henson said is that until you get a secretary in there that will actually put people in place that are going to take action, that are going to you know, have some dialogue, that are going to listen, that are going to act, You know, listen, acknowledge, and act on these issues, we're, we're not going to have any progress. And going one step beyond that is that, we have not been able to get a Secretary of Agriculture who is willing to remove the obstructionists. And these are people these are people, Lawrence, you and I have heard this over and over for for the for years. I was here before the Secretary got here and I'll be long here long after he's gone. And he's not gonna do anything and change what we think, you know, we need to do. We'll be here long after he's gone. And those are the type of people, um, the obstructionists, that the secretaries leave in place that actually obstruct getting anything done for the farmers. They obstruct getting anything done for employees. They keep the programs a status quo. They promote each other. And um, it's it's a real scam when you talk about their kingdoms of um, promotion and until we get that change we're not going to see any um systemic change and they, they're bad things are bad we had um a meeting with the chief the forest service chief just last year and uh all we got was just um lip service and lies and they they look at you and lie and You know they're lying, and they know you know they're lying, and you're just expected to swallow it. And we can't have chiefs and directors and undersecretaries and people in those positions that are making decisions about black farmer programs and employee programs. We've got to get them out of there, and we've got to get the right people in place, and we've got to get those people in place that will work with us and listen have some dialogue, work with us, and we have—we are not there. We are not there. We have women being sexually assaulted. We have women being, I mean, every day. It's every day. I, I You know, I, I say this every time we come on the talk show. I say this every time we have a hearing. Every time we talk to the media, it's the same thing. Women are being sexually harassed. Women are being sexually assaulted. Women are being stalked. People of color are, you know, losing their jobs. We have... For example, we have six African-American female foresters in the entire Forest Service, six, and they just fired one, okay? Okay, so, at least, okay Lisa,
2: yeah. uh, I, um, th- those are good points, and if we're at a point where I think that um, I want to break in here and kind of open the conversation up a little broader. Um, we have been told that when we ask uh, for something for black, we've been demanding that there be justice and a fair a play, fair playing field for black farmers. Uh, we have made it very clear that uh, with the Biden campaign, we've made it very clear that we want systemic change. But in the process of asking for, Things for black farmers. We have been told that what we are asking for black farmers, and they're willing to do it for others, but they're saying that what the what we've been asking to save the lives and the land and the wealth of black farmers is, in fact, unconstitutional. I want uh, first. I want uh, a store I want Michael. You chime in on that. What do you think about somebody telling us uh, in this day and time when we're asking for to be treated fairly to tell us that uh, what we're asking for is unconstitutional? And I want uh, Wayman and Hishaw to follow in after that.
3: Well, any time that black farmers have lost over 15-plus million acres of land and they're going to say it's unconstitutional, when they look at a spotted owl that's on the extinct of uh, not being here anymore, they want to fix that and throw millions of dollars at that problem. And when they realize the systemic problem at the USDA, how that they didn't take in so much black wealth from the black community is unbelievable. And for is, you know, the legislation that they put in place does not give the black farmer uh, a leg up at all and it's just like the statute of limitation those cases should have been resolved many years ago and they still out there hadn't been resolved and many farmers had died. There's a letter came out in uh, June the 10th of 2010 telling the farmers that they will maybe receive justice at this point if this bill can pass the House and the Senate those bills passed the House twice and never went to the Senate. So those cases that sit near, and a lot of farmers has passed over, nobody willing to address those issues. They want to address issues moving forward. you got to fix the problem that happened in the past before you can move forward. And those things that need to be addressed now, in this administration, the last administration under Barack Obama administration, and the Bill Sepp and Joe Leonard, how they have falsified documents to change findings to non-findings to keep from uh, paying the farmer damages that owed to them and take their land. Those things are criminal, and those people need to be held accountable for their wrongdoing. And something needs to take place now, not yesterday, but now, not today, but yesterday, needs to take place to fix the problem. And nobody wants to address the problem. Everybody running from the problem. Everybody wanna put legislation in place that don't benefit the black farmers. And that's a problem. The universities and everybody else can get money. The farmers still not getting justice. Their cases still not being held properly. It's a problem. Employees' cases not being held. If you go in there and get a job at the USDA and try to do the right thing, they're going to fire you. They're going to give you such a hard time. You have to quit. So it's a problem with the agency as a whole, and that needs
2: to stop. Uh, Wayman, can you, uh, Wayman, can you weigh in here on this issue of uh, this unconstitutionality as well as the importance of uh, of policy? Because some people tell tell us that um, policy is not important the most important thing is put a, uh, put someone in place, but yet and still the person in place has to follow some kind of policy. Uh, uh, is unconstitutional? Uh, is that a relevant term for what we're doing and asking for, and why? And and what is the importance of policy here that we are demanding from this the new, uh, new a new administration?
5: Because we can't get, so, so, we're not going
2: to get it under uh, Trump. That's for sure.
5: Well, that's for sure. Yeah, l- l- let me kind of contextualize the the question a bit, um, Lawrence. Uh, I have in front of me uh, a series of dates of engagement that, that we've had with the Biden policy team. Uh, we wrote the letter to Joe Biden on May 11th, and then there was a series of telephone conference calls in May and June. And then we started meeting with them via Zoom call July the 8th. Uh, July the 10th, um, and then and then so, so those were were fairly large groups. Uh, your team, Lloyd Wright's team, and then on July the 28th, we uh, we got uh, the Biden policy proposal, uh, the document called "Addressing Longstanding Inequities in Agriculture." So we got that two-page document. And then three days later, we had a a Zoom meeting. And in that Zoom meeting were uh, the Biden policy folks and then uh, Lawrence, you and me, uh, Michael and some others. And in that particular meeting, uh, we were going along discussing the policy as it had been given to us. And so in Biden's policy, uh there's uh there are two or three notations of black brown and native farmers, and so we were pushing back on that, saying that what we really wanted was really for a specific more of a specific uh emphasis on black farmers and an attorney who had joined the Biden policy team about Excuse three me. weeks prior.
1: Um uh, somebody is on speakerphone, please take it off. We're getting terrible feedback on it. Okay, let's see if that calmed it down. I, I can still, I'm still getting feedback. If you're on speaker, please take it off. Okay. All right, go ahead, please.
5: Yes, yeah, so what I was saying there, Mario, was that on uh, July the 31st, we had a meeting, several of us, including... Lawrence and Michael and me we met with the Biden team and we thought that we were negotiating uh a policy because when we looked at the two-page policy that they were that they gave to us uh which you can actually find on the Biden rural uh, uh, coalition uh, his website is exactly what we got on the uh, 28th, and we were discussing on the 31st. It was in it was in that particular meeting that that we found really really quite remarkable that an attorney who had been who had a long history of working with different organizations uh, would actually say that what you're asking of us is un- unconstitutional because we can't favor any one particular group. And that really hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like you've got to be kidding. You're an attorney. You're doing all this attorney kind of business. And surely you know of the Pigford class action suit. Surely you know Love. Surely you know Garcia. Surely you know Keith Siegel. And so uh, that really went seriously against the grain of all of us who were uh, who were on the phone that day. And so what happened was that they never, they never backed off of that, that belief that what we wanted was legitimate because the policy that, as it's printed, that we were given, that's on the website says black, brown, and native farmers. Now, we don't disagree that there are problems with black farmers, brown farmers, native farmers, and we can go even further with women farmers, but we're not – pushing toward those particular issues, we wanted to address systemic change specifically relative to employees and to black farmers. And so we had all sorts of, of documents. But so for an attorney who's in a high-moving position with a presidential candidate to say specifically what you're asking us to do is unconstitutional, made absolutely no sense, and it still makes no sense. Uh, I can't figure out how anybody would think that what we're asking for is unconstitutional uh, when you give in policies and procedures and programs and you see how they benefit whites versus blacks, uh, on and on and on. So so Jillian may want to weigh in on that, but for the team and I that day, it really hit a nerve big time. Julian?
6: Yes. I mean, my response to that is if there isn't a legal designation, then why is there protected classes under the Civil Mm -hmm. Rights Act? And if that's the case, also, why was there Jim Crow? And so, you know, my argument to that is well, you know, you designate certain races under classes for convenience sake. And But when it comes time to really pay reparations, when it comes time to pay monetary damages, when it comes time to honor the settlement agreement provisions of Pickford, it's just, you know, people have amnesia. And so, you know, I I definitely believe that there's already a settlement, you know, agreement in place. So you really don't have to file a new class You know, um, you don't have to do anything, just honor what you already agreed to in 1999. And that is what Mr. Stovall, that is what Mr. Lawrence and everybody on the phone is wanting. But, you know, again, no matter what party affiliation, you know, under this um, department, those terms are not being honored. And that's part of the problem. And while they're not being honored, you know, I had a farmer, they're foreclosing on black farm land, whether it's before COVID, during COVID, after COVID. And they're foreclosing based on loans that are, you know, really outdated, the 80s, the 70s. And so these are things that were supposed to be halted, again, with the settlement agreement, but they're not.
2: Hmm, thank you very much. Uh, Lisa, do you have anything to add to that conversation about this whole idea of what we're doing for black farmers? And for that matter, uh, does that also mean that what we are trying to do to settle the women's class, is that unconstitutional as well? Um, how, how do you see that from an employment standpoint?
4: Well, the whole thing is just absurd. Uh from, I think, you know, it's just, it's a matter of exclusion. That's what it is. Uh, that's, when I first heard him say that, I, I, it's just the, the first thing that popped in my head was exclusion. Because we can do it for those we want to do it for, but not for the ones we choose not to. And the ones that usually they choose not to work with and not to um, have, agreements and settlement agreements and, um, well, for example, like last year when we were at the um, meeting with the chief and we had been talking about moving forward to have uh, further meetings and the chief and her staff sat there, looked us in the eye and said, well, we'll do it with the employees, but we're not going to do it with the um, new women that are not employees anymore now these keep in mind these women have been fired right or run off in some some way or another and they're sitting in the meeting listening to the chief exclude them it was very painful for them it was it was very humiliating and i i think it's it's similar in that the the agencies do this and now we see this i'll say new administration doing the same thing is it, it, saying. We're sitting here talking about equity and equality and equal opportunities. And in that discussion, within that discussion, we're being told, but you're not equal because it's unconstitutional for us to do it with you. We can do it with others, but for you, it's unconstitutional. And and that's how it was in this meeting. Well, we can work with some of you, but for those of you that "Eh, we don't really look at you the same way. You're not included, and so I I see it as as just another way of exclusion.
2: Okay, thank you, Um, Michael and um, and uh, Marty. You can chime in uh, on this because what we have been working with the we have plans put into place by the Warren very clearly. The Warren and the Sanders plan stand out. Um I think there's some people that are out there who are saying that these plans that were being done um and I think somebody took some notes at a meeting and heard this but it seems as though they're treating us they don't we asked them to give us a plan that was similar if not the same as the Elizabeth Warren plan a a systematic approach to turning usda around completely we've been told and it's been alluded to that these these presidential candidates including bloomberg are pandering to us and 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 now i heard i think i'm hearing the tone but someone in a meeting heard that but do you feel as though uh what we are asking for or, or what it, it, the responses from the other campaigns? Do you consider that as being? you consider that as pandering, uh, Michael? And uh, and I, I hope that uh, Wayman chime in on this.
3: Well, I feel like it's only just because what uh, Warren and, and the Booker plan has will do, it will fix the systemic problem of the agency, and the Biden plan itself. Is covering up the wrongdoing of the Bill Sapp and the Joe Leonard, and the plan that the Warren put together will really move justice for farmers and employees, move it forward, and get this problem behind us that's been hunting the uh, the, the, the Congress and everybody else and the farmers and employees for so many years. When you have a 28 years of a fine of a discrimination, a breach of settlement agreement like I have, and many farmers that died that never gotten any type of justice, it's a problem. And the agency knows it's a problem. And Bill, Bill Sapp and Joe Leonard, the criminal things that they have done to destroy family farmers and employees across this country, is illegal. And the Biden plan will not do no more than and, 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 and the same old, same old. And we need something to change the systemic problem at the agency. And the Warren and the Booker plan would definitely do that. It's a leg up and not a leg back. And the Biden plan is a leg back in the same old, good old boy situation that we've been dealing with for many years. So we need something that's positive. We need something that's stable. We need something that's sustainable to move this country forward and fix the systemic problem at the hands of the USDA. And we needed quick, a quick fix, and we need it to be done right.
5: Lars, let me, let, let me say a couple of things, uh, kind of in, in harmony with what Michael is saying, that if you look simply at the number of pages, the Biden plan is less than two pages, and the uh, Warren plan is around 10 pages, and when we look at the Bernie Sanders plan, uh, it's like uh, five pages. So length is one thing. Now I recall in that July the 31st meeting, as we were pushing back on this uh, the plan, not knowing at that time that it was the plan and that it was already decided upon, so we need just to shut up and go home, we pushed back on several different facets of it. One was that we pushed back on what we called Paragraph 2 and Paragraph 3, because both of those paragraphs state overtly that there was significant progress made under the Obama-Biden administration. It doesn't particularly, it doesn't name that secretary. It didn't did name Bilsack, and it for sure didn't uh, name Joe Leonard, but it said some things along the lines of uh, bringing a painful chapter to a close, like, well, well no, it didn't. And then it's saying, despite the groundbreaking steps to address inequality that were taken, it's like, well, no, it didn't. And so we pushed... Against those two paragraphs. Now, my opinion about it is that we got a pushback to our pushback because little did we know that uh, Tom Vilsack was already in a policy shaping role with the Biden, uh, ultimately Biden-Harris campaign. Now, if we had known that, I don't know, and maybe we did know it, I don't know that we would have done anything differently, but they were intent on protecting the sacred turf, so to speak, of the Obama-Biden-Vilsack administration, those those eight years. And then another thing that I remember them saying was, because we were pushing them very hard, uh, respectfully, but very hard in terms of pay attention to the Warren plan. That really is the... uh, uh, the, the one that sets the the mark for what we're talking about. And so they came back and said, yes, thank you for that. We understand that, blah, blah, blah. And they said, what we attempted to do was take some of the major components, and this was galling, uh, as galling, I think, close second to the unconstitutional thing. That was galling that they said, yes, we, we understand the Warren plan. We looked at it, and we tried to pull out, uh, several important factors from that plan, and we put them into one paragraph. So I'm thinking, I don't know squat about policy at this kind of a level, but I do know that something more significant than a than a paragraph is going to be uh, profound enough to move us forward. And so we can look at one, one of the paragraphs, and it has some threads in there, but they didn't get – To the heart of what Elizabeth Warren said. Because what she says, among other things, is get a look. She she said this transform the culture of USDA from the top down to root out discrimination, reform the civil rights complaint process, radically restructure the office that handles civil rights. So Elizabeth Warren got it right. But those things that she said that really resonated with us were nowhere close to being found in a paragraph of the Biden plan. Now, we hope at some point to be able to get an invitation back to the table again. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that. But at some point, I would like for them to open up discussions with us and pick up where we left off because we thought – there was a genuine conversation, to use your word, Lawrence, a conversation going on when we ultimately found out there's no conversation. They've already decided, and we are wasting our time. And then, So that was on the 31st, and then on the 5th, I think it was, on the uh, 5th of August, we had another meeting with them. But that time, it was only one person for the Biden team not the other two or three that we talked with before. So, yeah, so those are my opinions about um, how the the process was actually stymied and why.
1: Can I say something here? Um, Throughout all of this and everything we've talked about on these shows, Tom Vilsack's name keeps coming up. Um, As um, somebody's on speaker again, please take it off. And the – the thing that concerns me here with him being resurrected once again is that they're, they're uh, grooming the public, conditioning the public to accept this man to be put in some position. Um, I don't think you've seen the last of him by any means, but he has such a bad reputation. He was such a terrible head of the USDA, and he was always known in Iowa as Monsanto's golden boy. He sold the whole state out to Monsanto. Betrayed a lot of the farmers there, how he got to be head of the USDA. Well, I guess Monsanto owns that, too. But anyway, um, my my gut feeling is I'd like to know what the rest of you think, too. This man is being positioned to rear his ugly head again. Um, that's my thoughts. And in what capacity, I'm not sure, but it's not going to be anything good. Could I get the rest of you your opinion on that if you think I'm right or wrong? Whatever you think.
3: Yes, Marty, you're very right. And and that's the problem, you know, whether it's um especially on the Democratic Party moving forward. Um for Barack Obama to bring him in and make him a secretary of agriculture that was that was that was terrible. And put him in the position of uh, over the civil rights office with Joe Leonard and how they have designed to steal black farmers' land and change the findings to non findings. Those are things that's a problem with this agency and how in the world would they even want to keep him out there. The things that he have done, the criminal acts that he have done to destroy farmers and take farmers land. You know, I've been fighting to keep my land for twenty eight for twenty years because of what they have done. Um, they ran me out of business They shut my chicken houses down Before I got started They killed my cows Brought me up on erroneous charges You know, And it, it's just unbelievable What they will do And continue to do They try to run me off the road Try to kill me I did not been through all that with the agency Because you speak out and tell the truth This is the type of things that they do To black farmers across this country
1: um well you know my thoughts are yeah this is you've just highlighted exactly why i think they're grooming this man for yet another position that he doesn't belong in uh that will give us all a lot of grief is please who's ever on speaker take it off um but this is this is what are doing is trying to repackage this dead horse and sell it again um this he's he, the man. In my estimate, I'm speaking solely for myself here. Has no morals. He has no sense of fairness. No sense of responsibility. He is uh, absolutely absent and void of of any sense of morality when it comes to what he's done to other people's lives and using the offices he was graced with. Like I say I go back to Iowa. Uh, he turned the whole state into a pig farm out there. Um, sold it out, like I say, to Monsanto. And how he ever got put in at the USDA was beyond me. Uh, but I think it was because this, this man is for sale. He'll do anything. And so this is why I think they're trying to, and what you've just said to me highlights the fact that it is because of this man's amoral character that they want to put him back because they know they can depend on him to do the absolute wrong thing, no matter what it costs somebody else. That's my I think personally,
2: I think personally, um, I think this whole issue that we have is, uh, I think, at this point in time, it's really bigger than Tom Vilsack. I, I think we have, what we have is what we're struggling with Is is working hard to Make sure that the next administration is knowledgeable and understand that there's a segment of society uh, uh, that are out there, spokespeople for farmers and employees, that are not going to go along to get along. I think what is important here, and I, I want Mrs. Hishaw, she's been uh, listening, uh, to give her feedback, but I think the problem Is bigger than him because we may not see him any longer I think our focus has got to be on trying to convince the next administration that we that we are the truth-tellers we're the people that that sit in the trenches and hear the pain and suffering of farmers and employees and if they're not willing to listen to us that means that they're not willing to make the necessary changes that need to happen for farmers. I think that is the most important thing, and I think that's where our focus should be. Uh, what do you think, Julian? Uh, you've been listening uh, to all this. What do you make of all this?
6: Well, um, I, I don't think that we should just designate, you know, Tom Vilsack um, because, again, no matter what administration or party line, it's the same. And so there has to be change. I know someone mentioned top-down, but to me it's kind of bottom-up as well um, because a lot of this happens on the local level, at least from my standpoint, um, every day in dealing with farmers and um, USDA or just in general. A lot of this happens on the local level, on the county level, and holding those bad actors accountable is where it needs to start. Also, having more oversight on the local level and transparency is where it needs to start. And then also, of course, um, enforcing the settlement provisions of Pickford. But it, it needs to be a third party oversight to USDA. And you know, supposedly that's supposed to be the DLJ, but you know, look at what's going on there. So, um, but hopefully things will be a bit more stable, um, you know, in in the next um, administration um, if uh, uh, Biden is elected, and there needs to be more oversight. But you know, you you can't you know turn a Two Trick Pony or however that goes um, I mean you know Look at his record And you know look at his history And so You, you have to Start small I guess with this administration Hopefully it will be Biden Because right now you know It's it's just nil to none Also yeah. the bad actors know That they can get away with this And, you know, just on a general basis, just in general, no matter what demographics, I mean, between 2012 and 2017, over 140,000 farms went out of business or consolidated. And this is the reality. And the reality is is that they're not enforcing um, GYPSA. They're not enforcing any type of antitrust. And so a lot of these large corporate farms and you know, large corporations, ag corporations, are being able to squeeze out the small farmer. Um, and that, of course, includes the black farmer. And so it's just things like this that really needs to be um, curtailed and resolved.
1: Lawrence, I'd like to respond to what you you had mentioned there about, you know, informing them and letting them know and talking to you. And, you know, when I say you, I mean everyone involved here and so many more. I I think we've been doing these shows going on five years, plus the summit, uh, plus all of the other radio shows meetings. Uh, Lisa, the meeting you had with the, uh, the committee here a couple of years ago. The thing is, they know everything you're saying is the God's truth. They know it. And they know that when you come in front of them, all they're going to do is sit there. If they acknowledge it in any way, it requires them to do something about it. So you're never given credibility. You're never given an honest hearing. You're never given a fair shake at any of this because to do so would require them to act and do their jobs. They don't intend to do that. Um, This is personally my personal thoughts. The USDA needs to be deconstructed and a new department set up with some very, very strict rules about how business is conducted. Um, The idea, Lisa, talking about hundreds of women being assaulted working at the forestry service and Michael you talking about a 28 year battle and attempts to kill you this is done by our government for god's sake and yet nothing changes again, again. these are the actions of your government so what is another uh, uh, w- way that we could approach this what, what do is you another way
4: Well, At least. Every, well, yeah. Everything Marty's saying is true. We've been doing this, Lawrence. You and I have been doing this for 20 years, over 20 years, and we see uh, we see some good changes that have come about, and we see some bad changes and some worse. It's two steps forward and you know three steps back, and it's been going that way ever since we've we've done this. And, yeah, you know, Marty's right. It's, it's hard to believe that, you know, this is this is the federal government we're talking about that is allowing women to be raped and then um, representing the rapist, which, you know, when you think about it, it just kind of blows your mind. And, and yeah, what do you need to do? I mean, we've been doing this over and over for 20-plus for years, and the same with the black farmer issues. And um, I agree, we need some restructuring. And one thing that Lawrence and I have been talking about for a while is um, USDA needs to be put into receivership. And I think that's probably the most radical thing that we could um, actually get done. I think we could actually get it done if we could get the right people listening to us. But um, USDA has proven that they are not able to um, manage themselves. They're not able to regulate themselves. And they're not able to control themselves, and um, it it needs to be put into receivership, where um, a higher level is has taken away their authority, and will be making all the decisions, and um, in essence training them, and holding them accountable for doing the right thing. That's that's the way I look at it.
5: What about you, Wayman? Uh, I I think I think you're right that uh, putting it in receivership. Uh, I think radical problems demand radical solutions. Uh, and then kind of contextualizing further the challenges at USDA. So hopefully there will be a new president come um, the first of the year. And then to think about there's the pandemic thing going on. There's the economy thing going on. There's getting us back on the right track and just the madness that's been Done the last three and a half years, um, it would take a huge, mindful, willful, organized approach at the highest level of our country to bring about the changes that we're talking about. So I, I think I think we need to be relentless. I think we need to use every conversation uh, with every person to say, let's vote in the way that needs to be voted. Uh, let's push our politicians in the right direction let's let's work at all levels policy and law to uh, to bring about the changes that we think that need to be, need to be done and so we can think in terms of it's going to take some time but on the other hand it's like let's not bind to that otherwise we'll all be 6 feet under by the time by the time anything gets done so but let's keep on pushing every conversation every uh, radio uh interview every Uh, paper that we write, every presentation we make, push ideas so that people out there would get it. We need people at the highest level of the government of our country to get it. Those who walk the halls of Congress and those who walk the White House to get it.
2: Um, What about um, kind of you've been listening uh, Michael um, and And this ma- major issue here is dealing with the black farmers, but we're talking about fixing a a culture and changing a culture um, what what do you, we have about about eight minutes to go and i would I would definitely like for you to respond uh, what do you have to say to the listening public and add to this dialogue uh, that we 've been going on for almost an hour and a half?
3: Well, I feel like if they they should start with uh, the Warren and the Booker plan, if they start with the Warren and the Booker plan, that will solve a lot of issues at the hands of the USDA. But if they're not willing to, the Biden is not willing to um, do anything to fix the systemic problem, you're still going to have the same thing going on generation after generation. So they need to take some time, and Congress are well aware of the situation. There's nobody in Congress that don't know exactly what's going on. When they already didn't see, they already seen their reports, they didn't see how the USDA is carried out, they didn't been to meetings, they didn't heard about meetings, they didn't see different things in the newspaper, they didn't see the investigations, they didn't paid all this money for crack and crit and everything else. Everybody is aware of the situation. Nobody wants to fix the problem, and the problem needs to be fixed, and the Biden needs to adopt the, the, the Warren and the Booker plan moving forward so this situation can eventually resolve itself. But they got to start with something more tougher than what they got on the book. And if they don't, we're going to continue to see the problem going on generation after generation, president after president, Congress after Congress. Any time that I've been in this mess for 28 years, I was 29 years old when I got first discriminated against the USDA in 1993. I'm 57 years old. The next month, be 28 years that I've been fighting this discrimination with a finding of discrimination, to breach of contract. So these type of things continue to go on, and it's going to continue to go on to somebody take the bull by the horn. And the Biden plan uh, will not do that. The Warren and the Booker plan will definitely, is a big step forward. And I think the Biden needs to adopt the Warren plan and move it forward for justice for everybody. You got to change the systemic problem with this agency to move this agency forward. If you don't, it's gonna continue to go on generation after generation. President after president, Congress after Congress, nobody wants to deal with it. Everybody on the Hill, on the Senate side, in the House side, ad Committee, everybody knows about the problem. Why don't you fix the problem? Fix the problem. Make it right because we didn't lost 15 million acres of land in the black community. Then they wonder what happened to the black wealth. What happened to the black wealth? Those are the things that happen. To the black wealth because of discrimination Under these type of agencies And they need to be held accountable Because they have rules and regulations That they already don't follow They didn't already um, Criminal Done What they have done To the farmers and employees The statute of limitations They admit that's a problem When you admit that's a problem Who should be held accountable The agency. It shouldn't be the farmer uh, losing land because of what the agency did and did not do to discriminate. The, the Justice Department discriminated against you, the Office of Civil Rights discriminated against you, and the agency as a whole discriminated against you, and Congress sat there and allow it to happen. It needs change, and the Warren and the Booker Plan will make a difference and if the body will adopt the plan and move it forward, it will make a difference for the employees. It will make a difference for the, the farmers. And we can get some type of justice here.
2: Thank you, Thank you very much, Michael. Um, I think that for clarity, uh, Michael was talking about the um, the Sanders-Warren plan. And to add to and it, it close this conversation, we know it can work. We've seen what the Clinton administration did under the Secretary of. Uh, Secretary Espy and Secretary Glickman. They came up with a plan, the Cratt and Crit reports and other reports, the Jackson Lewis report, but they took a look at the recommendations and they did something about it. And they put USDA on a right foot, but every administration that followed did not do so. Uh, Marty, um, do you have anything? I'm pretty much at the end. And uh, we're okay. talking about change, so I want to, I, I got a little piece of music that I'd like to Add to the conversation, but um, what what do you have to offer? Uh, you have anything to say before I uh, play Sam Cook tonight?
1: No, no, I don't. I think this has been an excellent show, an excellent expose, and I hope I think everybody ought to send a link to the Biden campaign so they can listen to it. Maybe they'll get a clue. Uh, with that, I want to remind everyone. This of course is brought to you in coordination With Marcel Reed and the annual Whistleblower Summit And we will be back next week With another whistleblower show Thank you everyone for joining in And good night Go ahead Lawrence Here we go
2: And I thank all of you all For taking the time